0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 30. I'm John, the executive <laughs> producer here at Final Show Films, and with me today is, oh, and, and I'm also at Johnny Bates on Twitter. With me today is Jack. Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at
1: F 4 gamers on Twitter.
0: <laughs> uh, and Jeremy. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm at JThomas411mania on Twitter. And did I actually say my correct Twitter handle? Because for some reason, my immediate memory of the last five seconds is me saying Jack's Twitter handle.
1: No, I think you said yours. Hmm? I'm Otherwise, pretty sure you said a lot of a Bates.
0: Okay. Okay, pretty there. Suspicious.
1: If not, I just said it. <laughs> Editorial corrections by our it's staff just, writer.
0: My, my, my brain like literally just overwrote the last five things I said, and I don't know why. <laughs>
2: ah, this is gonna be a great episode, folks. Uh, this is this you is some sense.
1: auspicious beginnings. So yes, episode thirty. Wrap it and buckle up.
0: Apple, episode 30 titled Stoke the Flames, a.k.a. Was Not Was. Um, We're starring, going full dino. <laughs> <laughs> starring Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel Don, Risha Ray as Sam Riggler Scanlon, Travis William as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as Dungeon Master, as well as each of these people portraying other characters, because this is the Halloween episode and everybody's dressed up. Um, Matt and Matt Mercer, in particular, being in a very impressive uh, Geralt from The Witcher uh, costume—quite, uh-huh. quite impressive. Previously on Critical Role. I was trying to think of something pithy to say other than just "shit happened," but really, shit happened. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the, they, 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 uh, they got in. They sort of got in the White Stone proper. Began planting the seeds of rebellion. Uh, tried to heal a sun tree and weren't able to. Tried to open a door and weren't able to. Um, <laughs> and uh, snuck into a guy's house and killed some people.
2: Yep. It was the episode where, where where Percy was like, oh, you think we've been dark before? Just
0: wait. Yeah. Hold my beer. And also where yeah, Percy, Percy revealed his pet shadow demon, which was nice. Hmm. hmm It's important to have pets. It's important to have pets. Anyways, as the sun begins to set, Vox Machina returns to the tavern they had previously stayed in. They head down to the cellar, and Keyleth uses hallucinatory terrain to hide the entrance. That's sort of like the uh, that's the D and d version of the uh, Harry Potter uh, buildings in plain sight thing, uh, where you know the the buildings just sort of shrink in and collapse, and the building that is there is just not there to your mind and eyes um. The party questions Percy about the smoke that emanated from his body in the previous battle, as you do, as well as the strange cough he's developed since entering Whitestone. Percy explains the dream he had about a year after the Briarwoods took the castle, where an entity asked him if he wanted revenge and the means to achieve it. In return, he would have to offer up the souls of those he killed. He says he woke up the next morning with an idea, which he then built, creating his first gun. Uh, Percy defends himself, saying that it's just a dream, and it wasn't real. Because these dreams are never real in d Yup. Vaxalodon points out that it definitely was not just a dream, since they all saw the smoke. He asks Percy... Vax he if Percy, once again
1: being the voice of fucking science.
0: <laughs> <laughs> going, Look, I know you, you say it's a dream, but I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> uh, he asks if Percy has any theories, and the gunslinger says he doesn't know. He's never thought about it because it didn't matter. Vaxalia asks who the last bullet is for. Percy doesn't answer for a moment. Vex says that they don't want to lose him. Percy says that he talked to the captain of one of the ships he spent some time on after leaving Whitestone, showed the man what he was building what he intended to do. The captain said that if revenge was what he was after, there would be no stopping it, uh, and there would be casualties along the way. He said Percy would have to give things up and to hurt people, and that was the price of revenge. Percy says the last barrel was there because there are not just five names. He's going to keep hurting people because it never ends. He has killed a lot of people on his journey with Vox Machina, more than five. The last barrels to remind him that uh, that this is the path he has chosen. Uh, Vax argues that they had a reason for killing those people. Percy counters that the names on the list also have reasons they should be killed. See, but we killed those people for a reason, except the old lady. Uh, and we're going to kill these people for reasons, too. So
2: that's something that we actually haven't talked about since it's a very significant part, particularly of this arc, obviously. But it's not the only arc that, that's covered. This not a, even even some of the passive is the revenge storyline.
0: Yes, this is where <laughs> and, we get and the, to the significance.
2: The yeah, and you know this is a this is a very well established. There's a, a number of. Um, aphorisms and, and and tropes that 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 relate to this the you know you do you make sure you dig two graves and and all of that this is one of my favorite um uh and clearly by story by 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 the way things um uh play out in, in most media uh most creators favorite um uh, uh, uh storyline theme um it's something that is works really well in that it's very well defined you can y- y- you know when you're doing one of these there's going to be a clear villain but there's also going to be and there's going to be a lot of you know the the things that come into play of that there's going to be they're going to seek this person they're going to have several obstacles along in the way uh they'll probably have to torture someone for information at some point um, but and it's also in addition to that very easy storytelling set of steps that you can follow, hopefully, you know, deviating here and there because you don't just want to rip everyone off. Um, there's a lot of thematic and character depth that can be found in it. Uh, and, and this is one obviously where where that plays out very well in that respect.
0: Yeah, the uh, the revenge and and. and- People fall to the trap of writing the same revenge plot. I think because revenge plot is the tr- is the sort of the name utilized. Mm-hmm. I, I, I personally like to think that it's a revenge goal. The goal is revenge. The plot is what happens between point A and B. Yeah. Um Well, yeah. The, and and this, and I think
1: I think the the reason that people tend to recycle it is because um, there's a there's a lot of especially either production decision or beginning writers or whatever that don't always understand the difference between a remix and a repeat. (laughs) Right. Whereas the, the, the first one is taking elements that resonate with an audience that have been used by other people with great effectiveness before And putting your own spin on it and altering aspects so that while similar to and while recognizable, it is, however, different or original from what has come before. The things that inspired it. Yeah. Well, I mean, whereas a repeat is literally what it says on the tin. Yeah, it's about plot
2: structure. I mean, we we talk a lot about uh, things like genre and and how there are. You know, strong elements of particular genres like uh, Western, for example, is a very, very, very formalized, um, uh, almost rigid in some way genre. But there's a reason why it's lasted is as as a important genre in American fiction as long as it has mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because yeah. it works, because it, it tells great storylines. I think that in terms of of revenge plots, it's. Again, sort of that same very formalized storytelling arc that you see a lot of the same stuff happen, but unless, uh, and don't get me wrong, there are several that do it very, very poorly. Um, It's a storyline that you really have to try to fuck up.
0: Well, and I think part of that is because um, it's, it's, it's very relatable. Yes. It, ev- ev- everybody has had something bad happen to them, and at one point or another has, you know, had the thought of, I wish I could have done something about that. Uh, and and that's what a revenge plot is. It's it's literally mm-hmm. you doing something about the bad shit that happened to you. Yep. Um, yeah. John Wick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John, John Wick is sort of a, the example of that. Um, but I, f- I find that like like we were saying, people fall into that 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 remix, uh, uh that remake idea of of just retelling the same story rather than telling it with different uh with sort of different beats in it. I find that if you treat the revenge again less as a plot and more as a goal, mm-hmm. that gives you a little bit more room to wiggle. Just using a sort of a standard D uh uh trope that I've been thinking about because... I realize I've never used it when making a character, but uh, a dragon attack. Um, we actually have two of the very uh, two uh, other revenge stories and air quotes uh, in the party of Critical Role, Fax uh, yep. and Vex. Both of them lost a pa- lost their mother. And this is in their backstory. Both of them lost their mother to a dragon attack. And both of them have preceded this goal of revenge in two very different ways. Vax is looking at survival. We will deal with, we, we will deal with that dragon or, or dragons in general or whatever later. Right now, my goal is to survive and for me and my sister and our friends to survive. Vax became a ranger and with dragons as a favorite enemy. Uh, Vex took the John Wick route of you stole everything from me, I'm going to steal everything from you, and and by by you know specializing in killing you, and that's mm-hmm. just that's that's two different approaches, two different plots to the same revenge goal, uh-huh. yeah. really the same revenge goal in this case, um, and so that's that's just a, a you know just a, a a small example of how you can very much change these things up. Without having to go through the same beats, and mm-hmm. as watch Critical role can tell Vex and Vax are very different characters, even though they both have this same goal in their yeah. character arc um. oh yeah,
2: there's definitely room for variation, and there, there yeah. absolutely yeah. should be I'm um, because yeah. this is as anybody who's seen me role play would know, one of my absolute favorite. <laughs> arts to run through, partially mm-hmm. because I love doing terrible things to my characters and their backstory. And when you do that kind of terrible thing, it leaves a mark. And you, you, one of the bigger thematic things you can do is try and get them past that. And that's where that's where the revenge thing comes into play. Um, yeah, it's it's one of one of the ones that I really really enjoy, and and one that obviously they do very well.
0: Uh, continuing on, uh, Vax agrees that the Briarwoods and their allies need to die, but the level of violence displayed in the previous battle went beyond that. Um, getting into the sort of the morality of murder, uh, which is a uh, another one of uh, another fairly common trope of um, you know the the badass killed some people, but then somebody else killed more people. What makes the badass different from the other people? Well, the guys I killed, I killed. X Y Z. The guys they killed, they killed three other reasons. Um, that's 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 one of those. This is one of those uh, to you know to 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 cap on to the revenge plot thing. This is a thing that happens quite a lot in narratives and in stories. The the question of what makes our killing of people better than their killing of people, if killing of people is universally seen as wrong. Yeah. Yep. And
1: and the idea of justification is always something that All right. I think resonates.
0: Uh, oh, sorry. Dis, uh, Discord decided it wanted to fuck up. What was that, Jack?
1: Okay. Oh um I was just oh, saying the the Discord concept is of still just still
0: deciding it wants to fuck up. Hmm. Still? Doo, 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 doo. Hello? No idea Anything? what's happening. Hello? Can you guys hear me now?
1: We can hear you. We've been okay. able to yeah.
0: Okay. Discord decided it wanted to really fuck up, and I'm not sure why.
1: Alright, where were we? Oh yeah, justification. No, the idea of justification is one that I think is very good in abstracting a story, because I find that narrative usually benefits by having a, a level of abstraction to it. Now, you can take this extremely far, Mm-hmm. and and have, you know, agenda-based narrative and C.S. Lewis's allegory and all that sort of thing, which can come off a little heavy-handed and mm-hmm. is not always for everybody. But when your story is exploring philosophical and ethical concepts like justification, there's a level of I would say draw to the reader or the viewer to your audience where you're pulling them in and saying, look, you're not just watching a whole bunch of things happen and enjoying the rise and fall of excitement and tension because things are happening. These things are happening for a reason. These things are happening because there's, there's thought and there's rationale and there's probably disagreement on why reality is the way it is and how it, does work and how it should work by the various characters here, and it, it it gives a level of significance to the writing, and also frequently because as humans we live, I would say a majority of our lives in the abstract anyway, you know, where the 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 sort of concepts and and tensions that we have within our own minds of once you've done something that maybe you don't feel the best about or once you've done something that you regret or wish you could have done otherwise what sort of what sort of philosophical points and shatter points brought you to the the cusp of those decisions and pushed you one way or the other and that gives, I would say, uh, a, a level of depth and, and a level of, of resonance to these fictions that we're creating in a way that binds us to either the writer or the audience, whichever role you happen to find yourself in, which to me is one of the most fundamental aspects of narrative is to draw out a communal experience. And I think that they do very well uh, by having these sort of discussions at the beginning of this uh this Whitestone story arc during the during the first few episodes of once they've actually arrived in in the town. Yeah. Anyway, that's my side sidebar.
0: Absolutely. Uh I think my 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 thing is that there are certain there are certain tropes within the idea of justification or justified mm-hmm. killing that yeah. get played over and over again. Mm-hmm I find that, and and I think it may just be because I have been exposed to them so many times, I find that my favorite reaction to any, like my favorite in-character justification for things, uh, I don't remember what movie it's from. I think Sling Blade, but that might not be correct. Um, the quote, uh, some folks just need killing. Yeah. Which I think is my favorite a uh, uh, reaction to that, because it, 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 a lot of a lot of justification uh, character arcs or justification reactions end up being this massive internal or external struggle over, you know, uh, who gives you the right to decide who who gives you the right to decide who lives and dies is a line I've heard literally hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. And it is a line that has been so overplayed to the point of annoyance that I just stop. I just tune out whenever I hear it Mm -hmm. uh, and and, any and all variations on it. And so the response of some people just need killing really amuses me. (laughs) And I think that's where Percy's at right now. (laughs) Right. Um,
1: I come at it from the other side because when it comes to my favorite tropes in this sort of thing, you know the idea that it it doesn't completely contravene the concept that some people just need killing uh but mine comes from Danny Glover's character in Silverado I don't want to kill you and you don't want to be dead the mm-hmm. idea that there are you know as yes shooting people is kind of the simplest solution sometimes it is not terribly nuanced frequently no um and sometimes it is what an individual is pushed to particularly in in uh, in genre fiction but the idea is that you know yeah no i i've got you at barrel's end here and i could very easily just pull this trigger and the the problem would would be solved by default but i would rather not and i think you would rather me not as well where does that leave us kind of thing
0: yeah and then uh, another place to look for really good uh really good you know dissertation on the 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 justification of violence and and murder is uh the marvel cinematic uh television universe um i'm not not not, not to spoil anything i'm not going to go into any details but uh the 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 various series is in the marvel tv series uh tackle the concept of justification in ways that are a little bit fresher than mm-hmm. the tired than the tired yeah. old decide who mm-hmm. lives or dies argument. Um,
1: yeah. Jessica Jones does that really well. Uh Luke Cage does that really well. Even Shield does it reasonably well sometimes. I would say Second uh, season
2: uh, of Daredevil did it fairly second, well with, second with, season with the with the Punisher just yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: juxtaposition. And mm-hmm. like
0: and, and like the Punisher did it very well too. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of weird considering the Punisher. <laughs> I mean that's
2: To me, that's not weird at all for that character, Um, because I mean, I cannot count how many times in the comics I have read somebody deliver that line you hate so much. (laughs) To yeah, Um, and I don't mind the. I I get what you're saying. Yes, it is. There are there are other ways to say that. that is a that is a concept that i feel like has to be introduced in these in these story arcs in some way but it's lazy writing when you just fall back on the quote everybody knows
0: yeah that, that that's um, that's why like the concept i don't mind it's yeah. the quote that drives me bananas yeah <laughs> uh, the,
2: even if it's just for god's sakes writers Thanks. out there even if it's just a minor way of changing it just don't don't copy and paste off wiki quotes that's all we ask
0: down again <laughs> i don't know if you can hear me
1: well yeah i mean copying pasting you off copy, of wiki quotes however we can do a little bit but but copying pasting off of wiki quotes is how we get such wonderful literary classics like ready player one <laughs> okay, we won't get into that. <laughs> I will shit all over that book till the day I fucking die. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> there you
0: Sorry, but, but yes, yeah, everything freaked out on my end. But, but yeah, just the 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 idea that you know we can all we can all think of a hundred different places where we've heard that exact quote yes. from, <laughs> and it's yep. like why write something uh-huh. new? Yep. <laughs>
2: I mean, use use your syntax skills that you hopefully gained at some point when you are trying to write something
0: to change a couple of words around. In in fact, you know what? Just saying you don't get to decide who lives or dies changes the impetus of that sentence so much it makes it different. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, don't don't ask rhetorical questions when they might actually have several different answers to them.
0: Just yeah, just make a statement. Take a fucking stand. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <sighs> and I mentioned I hate lazy writing.
1: <laughs> Once or twice.
0: Ha. <sighs> Percy says that he no longer feels in control and he does not trust himself anymore. He doesn't expect anyone else to trust him either. However, he does trust Vox Machina. That, that, sorry, that, that, that read just sounded like it was like a, a, a lawyer commercial or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Grog asks if Percy is afraid he's going to hurt them. No, he immediately answers, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Uh, which is a very talism thing. That's uh, a very talism line. Uh, Keyleth asks, asks how he would do that. He thinks Fox Machina has come to Whitesone out of justice and maybe friendship, but he himself is not. Percy is here for revenge. He wants to hurt his enemies. He wants them to know it was him. He is grateful that there is justice to be found by doing this, but even if there wasn't, he would still be here. Vax wants to know what happens after the, after the last of Percy's targets are killed. Percy says he's never thought of it. He's never thought a thing about it before. He thinks Vox Machina will either have to save him or finish him. As we dig deeper into the trope canal,
1: yeah. gotta love gotta love the the level of of genre savvy here, though, because mm-hmm. there's a trope of I've gotten my revenge. Now what? Yeah, which is usually left until after they've gotten their revenge. Yep. But there's a level of forethought here that frequently creators don't put into these types of characters. You know, the idea of the character that's just so driven by revenge, they're consumed by the urge, and they can't think about anything else, and nothing else matters to them. That's a one-dimensional character. And it is a hallmark of living, reasoning, sapient individuals that you're constantly worried about the future. You can... And here we see they've they've actually combined those two. Talison's put both of those aspects into Percy, mm-hmm. um, which gives him a much more a much more deep uh, performance. I think
0: get him some of that third dimension there. Mm-hmm.
1: Much less of a one note.
0: One note equals two dimensions. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, that math is not up, but yeah, no, no, absolutely. They're, they're, they're definitely, they're, they're doing as much as I say, digging into the trope canal, they're digging into the trope canal, but, but grabbing them and putting them into interesting and different orders. Mm-hmm. Cause all of like, like we've, 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 we've like in the, in the past two paragraphs, we have hit four tropes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but the way they're uh, com- whether they're you know pulling them out and combining them and and making it into a different using these same ideas that we're all familiar with, but again putting them like you said putting them before the killing has happened. I well, I mean, and that's the thing is, you know, uh, trope is sort of a
2: dirty word when you're talking about stuff critically, or or it is perceived as such. Yeah. I've never thought that's been the case. Uh-huh. Um there's a reason why tro- why 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 things become tropes. They work. Yeah. If they weren't successful, they wouldn't work. Um flip that around. Anyways. Um <laughs> but um
0: if they if did, didn't work, the, they wouldn't be successful.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um oh, I I suppose Fifty Shades franchise proves that uh for wrong anyways um the, the point is you don't just do the exact same things the interesting thing that you do with these things is you, you collide them off of each other in different ways or you find ways to twist those, those those tropes and tweak them in interesting ways to where it's still an original engaging story and you don't feel like you're just reading or watching or whatever Lord of the Rings for the 90th billion time, or or whatever other highly influential tropey thing there is.
0: It's actually... Um that's actually a good point that you made. It's Like we we, we, we use the term trope all the time, and and people, mm-hmm. in sort of the the the, the human just gestalt that is uh, pop culture, um, use the word trope a lot without necessarily understanding what it means to be a trope. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, tropes are not inherently bad things. They're just a they're they are just a significant. Theme or a motif, a thing, uh, a, a, an event, uh, an idea, a concept that gets repeated often enough that you can identify it on sight or sound. Uh, yep. And 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 they, you know, we put names to them and everything. But the 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 revenge arc, the big guy, the you know, there's the 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 five man band. There's there are tropes are not inherently bad. They're not inherently negative. It's when you. When your writing is nothing but here's a trope, laugh or react, that's bad. Yep. It's so. the
2: difference between uh the the um Sulzer Friedberg parodies, uh the date movies, the disaster movie, superhero movie, um epic movie, I can't remember what they're all, but they almost all just end with movie. Um or or even the Wayans ones And something like Cabin in the Woods, Mm -hmm. which is, as one of my favorite horror films, that movie is basically a mishmash of tropes. That's, but it does so in an interesting way, and it subverts them interestingly, and that's how you effectively use them. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're building blocks, like anything else and you can yeah. use them good or you can use them poorly
1: yeah no the the idea and and horror sh- horror film i feel is one of the the biggest trope heavy or at least overtly trope heavy uh genres of of narrative in in modern mm-hmm. culture you know because everybody knows the whole don't walk down in the basement by yourself moment that you experience when you're watching those yep because that's a trope, and it's become at this point a cliche, which is sort of a more uh, overtly negative trope, you know. And and the way that you the way that you handle tropes well is say, all right, yeah. So there's the there's the moment in the horror movie where when the characters walks down the basement by themselves, which is a stupid thing to do, as anybody who's watched a horror movie knows. What if they did that exact same thing, but this time when the audience sees it? the audience feels there's actually a good reason for them yep. to be doing that. And that will obviously have to engage your brain. Cause I can't even right now think off the cuff of a good reason. Somebody walks into a dark basement by themselves in a horror movie alone, you know, but if you can, if you can, if you can bring the audience around to where they're suddenly seeing something tired and worn and stupid <laughs> in a brand new light and in a positive way, or in at least in a way that makes them relate and support, in that narrative choice. That's when you know you're doing your job right.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's why a movie like Scream worked really well because uh-huh. it knew what tropes it was playing with. It explicitly stated them in the movie, and then came up with legitimate reasons for people to do that to do them.
0: Yeah. There's there's a lot of like like that and 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 that is. If you're looking at if you're looking at sort of like critically critically analyzing, you know, a script or a screenplay or a game or anything like that, look at that and see are they just doing the thing that they have seen before? Yep uh the 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 great the, you know the, the the great modern example of this is uh horror games on steam uh where you go in you go into a dark area you've got a shitty flashlight that lasts for 5 minutes you have to find batteries to replace it you have to unlock doors to find keys to unlock doors to find keys to unlock doors and at some point in the, at some point in the night you're going to have to turn on the generator um these are just they have grabbed Ideas that they saw and put them in and did nothing else yep that's bad that's that is cliche that, that's and cliche is just it's when you've overused the trope to the point of beating a dead horse, like mm-hmm. who gets to decide who who lives and who dies. That question is a cliche at this point
2: um, so yeah. also it's worth one one last little minor tangent. When you are looking at this stuff critically, you have to look at the context of when it came out. And because I see this happen all the time, people look at early, early stuff. Like, I think probably, clearest example I can think of is the Friday the 13th and Halloween, the first movies. People look at those and complain about the tired old tropes. That's because those movies created those tropes. They weren't tired at that point. Yes. Um. You have to look at it when, when you're looking at this stuff and people are like, well, I don't understand why everybody loves this movie so much or this book so much, because it just does all the same stuff that says stuff that came out 20 years after did.
0: You can't do that. Yeah, because it started the whole shaboo. <laughs> right. Um, <clears throat> Grog says that if Percy gets out of control, they'll just bop him on the head and take him to a temple. Vex says it's actually a pretty good plan, and the two of them also agree that Percy looked pretty awesome wreathed in smoke, although Vex is quick to point out that she doesn't like how dark the situation became. Uh, Grog gives Percy a thumbs up from behind her, indicating that he did like how dark the situation became. So we have a little bit, and we, we sort of lighten, ease up, ease back off the throttle here as we stop burying ourselves in the trope canal. Um and uh, Scanlan says that he doesn't understand why everyone is so upset about what happened. The whole point of their mission was to assassinate Sir Carian. Vex says that ripping Vok's tongue out went a bit too far. Percy, can, <laughs> ripping the guy's tongue out and scalding it with your gun was a bit too far. We're just here to kill people. We're not here to maim them. Eh. <laughs>
1: Whatever. Degree, de- degrees of, of severity.
0: Hmm? Eh. Percy agrees that he got out of hand. He says he hopes that Oxfocke will restrain him if he starts acting like that again. The moment he threatens any of the party is the moment he is no longer in control. Vex walks up to Percy and kisses him on the cheek. Uh, the group begins discussing plans for their rebellion. Again, just waiting to see what says reactions to their first strike against Sir Carian, and they decide to rest for the night and plan to visit a magic shop known as the Alcove in the morning, as Percy is familiar with the owner. Vex senses the undead presence within the town and feels there are more around than there were before. They seem more active after Sir Carian's house was set ablaze. No shit. <laughs> you, you murder a government official
1: and surprise, the cops come out.
0: The guards arrive, yeah. Um, Vox Machina heads down into the tunnel Keela dug out around the roots of the sun tree and settle down for the night Percy and Scala take the first watch using Grog's Firebrand Hammer as a light source. Grog and Vax take the second watch It's a good thing that the Firebrand Warhammer is just magical fire and not like an actual fire that burns things and produces smoke because they're in a really tight place. Yep They might have all died.
1: Note to self, kids. Don't light fires in confined underground areas. They suck up all the oxygen. <laughs> and you get to suck on carbon dioxide. <laughs> I will tell, you the, I will tell you, you the story of how my uncles almost killed themselves as children in the sewers of Baltimore at a later date.
0: The more you know. <laughs> As the night goes on, the temperature steadily drops. A low mist begins to form within the tunnel. Vax wakes up his sister. Grog is convinced the fog is just normal fog that happens inside, underground at night, and steps closer to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) See what I did there? As he leans in, the fog begins to form into a humanoid shape and reach for him. Three pale, feral-looking humanoids with elongated fangs emerge from the mist. The one in front of Grog quickly moves to his side and grasps onto his armor, pulling him in. He attempts to bite the Goliath, but its fangs catch and deflect off a little bit of chainmail around his neck, given to him by Scanlan. The second vampire also grapples Grog, reaching up with its claws to move the chainmail out of the way, and then bites into his neck. The third heads for Vax, because it doesn't want to get in in on that threesome, raking both of its claws against him. The first swipe hits, but he manages to deflect the second. Vex shouts, wake the fuck up, and everyone wakes up, because that's what happens when someone shouts, wake the fuck up, in a very small, tightly packed room
1: Actually, underground where you're probably not sleeping terribly comfortably in the first place.
0: Yeah. Vex has 100 mark on the vampire attacking her brother using her blazing bowstring. She shoots an arrow at it, which ignites the air dealing a significant amount of damage. And now at this point, they will be inhaling carbon dioxide.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Except for the vampires who are undead and don't need to breathe. Exactly. They fight.
0: They fight. Uh, it's actually a fairly quick fight. This one. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 group managed to deal with the vampires pretty quickly um the quote of the night going to vax as he repeatedly jabs three daggers into the adamant of a vampire, killing it and say, and grinning in its face saying vampires aren't shit. <laughs> um, <clears throat>
2: and we can't ignore the best the single best moment of the fight though.
0: Which was Scanlin.
2: Oh. Scanlon <laughs>
0: <laughs> gets up. Yes, hits get, the up, wall, <laughs> and takes and a begins, leak, <laughs> and begins urinating. As he does, he pulls out a wand of magic missiles and fires two missiles at each vampire. <laughs> Basically, the least interested in this fight out of everybody is Scanlan, taking a piss, shooting missiles at the same time. <laughs> Thing, things that you don't have to aim are great because it allows you to
1: do plenty of other shit in the meantime.
0: And the act of doing this inspires Grog at the same time. That was, that was pretty, that's probably a pretty epic, you know, use of inspiration.
1: The vampires are
0: don't deal with running water. Um, I think Cailith gets the most damage dealt though uh, using a sunbeam underground. The yes, time she uses her sunbeam in this very place. This time for its intended purpose. Um. Uh, oh, also. Um, oh yeah. Also, Scanlon killed a vampire by peeing on it. Well, didn't I
2: mean that's what, that's speaking. functionally. <laughs> if we weren't looking at the behind the hood mechanics of the hit points going away and such, if we were just watching this, first of all, I would wonder what, what, who the fuck actually put it out. Um, but all we would see is the vamp is Scanlon pissing and talking shit, and then it goes down.
0: I mean, it it, it goes down. Grog also hits it with a hammer. Oh, well, that too. (laughs) Um, Okay, if you want to get
2: technical about it.
0: Grog actually got the kill on it, but Scanlan claimed it. Uh, Grog informs the group that the fog is bad, and they should probably (laughs) find a new hideout. (laughs) (laughs) What?
2: (laughs) Scanlan claimed it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what can I say? I play a werewolf on Wednesday nights, so. <laughs> uh, uh, Grog informs the group that the fog is bad and they should probably find a new hideout. The twins agree. Uh, Percy tries to persuade the party to get a full night's rest first, but Scanlon suspects the vampires might be spawning from the sun tree. Uh, I mean, he did pee on the sun tree, so that might have had something to do with it. Uh, Vax tries to settle the discussion with a coin flip, the result being that Vax Mongin wants to search for another place. Vax and Percy ask Keyleth to tunnel them under the city, but she doesn't have enough energy to cast the required spell. Brog and Vex point out that they don't want to be traveling out in the open at night, with the town is full of vampires. The party decides to stay in the tavern, moving into the cellar, as Keeleth blocks out the with a wall of stone. They open up one of their many bottles of, ex- of air quotes, expensive ass wine, to share. Uh, Vax and Keeleth take the first watch. Vax also stays awake because she doesn't want the two of them to be alone together. Or sorry, Vex stays late because she doesn't the meal together. For reasons. Um,
1: Vex, the
0: little sister who's always trying to cramp your style. Hmm. Yep. Vex, master of the cock block. Uh, the other half of the party goes back to sleep. Grog and Trinket take the second watch and the night pass without incident. As they awake in the morning, Percy feels more corrupted than before. He's having difficulty controlling his sadistic tendencies, and he is now aims to torture his enemies before their deaths. Scanlan, once again, uses a seaming to, descri- uh, to disguise Vox Machina as a bunch of peasants. is wearing a hat of disguise as an extra precaution, getting disguises on disguises. The party prepares to split up, Bax and Scanlan going to talk to the town soap, while the rest search for a new hideout. They decide to use the code word Dorito if anything goes wrong, then heads into town. We've talked before about um, our individual feelings on meta knowledge and meta humor. Yep. I have uh, I have strong feelings. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Ah. Sure
1: thing, Zygmunt Stella Pulvis. Hmm?
0: Yeah. Well see, that's it. Zygmunt Stella Pulvis is not Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> it's a reference, <laughs> not a direct pull. <laughs> For all we
2: know, Dorito is a word in Gnomish.
1: <laughs> I think most things that are marketed in modern society probably started as words in Gnomish. That is probably true. I mean, Fair. it's not like they say Dorito,
2: the chip that <laughs> is made by. <laughs>
0: Percy, Vex, Grog, Keith and Trinket, the donkey uh because Trinket is disguised as the donkey, all head towards the magic shop known as the alcove. Walking through the streets they see a bit of more a bit more energy to the town. People are hustling about doing their business as a slight as a slight plume of smoke is still rising from the house the distance. Apparently burning down one of their oppressors makes the town slightly more happy. Mm-hmm. Continuing continuing to the northwest, they arrive... Yeah, funny how that works. They arrive at a plain wooden building with a sign out front, reading the alcove. They enter through the open doors. The building seems generally unkept. Across the room, behind the counter, is a young girl in her late teens who looks up as they enter. She reads them nervously. Percy asks if Simon is around. The girl says he was called away by... And and, and at this point, I got confused because I remembered that the belt was Simon. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Percy just whips out another Simon. And I'm just like, wait, was the belt... Is the belt... Magic store owner, but that was no. more me than anything else. People, people in frequently share names, mm-hmm. it's true, it's true. People don't frequently turn into belts, though, no, um, not typically, yeah, not in modern day
1: society, anyway. We used to turn people into belts all the time back in the day, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and it's just one of those interesting things. I was things gonna say I I that you Ed this. game. um. The girl says that he was called away by the Briarwoods for a special project six months ago, and he told her to look after the store while he was gone. She apologizes for not having much in the stock at the moment. Percy questions her further about this special project. She says that Simon lives in the castle now and he would visit every week or so, but he hasn't been back in almost a month and she's a little worried. He never told her any details about the project. The girl introduces herself as Jordana Whisk, enchantor in training and Simon's daughter. Vex, once again disguised as a crazy-eyed woman, asks if Simon liked the Briarwoods. Jordana looks around the room before accidentally saying, the Briarwoods are just unfair and you should not speak ill of them in public. Which is fair. You know, Vex did kind of put her on the spot there, trying to get her killed. Uh, <laughs> do you like the Briarwoods? Yes, I like the people that can kill me at any moment, you crazy lady. <laughs> Vex beckons the young girl closer. Jordana first co- closes the main doors that Vox Machina entered through, then heads back to the counter. She doesn't say anymore she does not recognize any of the group, and they are speaking dangerously. Because Vox Machina has never been one for subtlety. Jordana uh, offers to sell them something, pulling out several healing potions and a metal rod. Percy says he's interested in something more complicated and more dangerous. He walks over to a dusty wall and draws the Dorolo family crest. Uh Jordana warns him that drawing that symbol is dangerous around here, and he wipes it away. Again, subtle. The girl asks what the group is doing here. Percy says he's looking to purchase sanctuary. He mentions that they are hiding from the Briarwoods, causing Jordana to become incredibly nervous and worried that the group will lead them to her shop. Max manages to calm her down somewhat. Giordano says that if she's going to allow the party to stay in her shop, she needs to know what they're trying to accomplish by raising some of the Dorellos. Vex tells her that they may know some Dorellos, but the girl doesn't believe her, saying that they've all been dead for five years. Um, uh, Percy says that not all of them are dead, but is unable to drop the seeming illusion in order to prove his identity. Uh, the rest of the party try to compromise by saying that the only the, the only one person would know Percival Dorellos' full name. Vex, Grog, and Keelith spend a few moments trying and failing to pronounce Percy's entire name as Giordano watches in confusion... Uh clearing his throat, Percy says that Simon Whisk was a good friend to Percival Friedrichstein von Musikowski de Rollo the Third. Percival lives and he is coming.
1: See, I love things like this where it's like in most movies, especially if there's any sort of like rebellion intrigue, that sort of thing, and you're trying to get in touch with the leaders of the resistance or whatever, you know, you you, you get a lead, you walk into the random dingy bar, you say the phrase The bartender looks at you significantly. Somebody else closes the shutters and they usher you into the secret hideout. Bing, bang, boom. Five minutes. You're done.
0: Right. Whereas this feels a little more realistic. I have a code phrase. What's the code (laughs) phrase? I can tell you the code phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Or even, what if we had a code phrase?
1: Does anybody else know the code phrase? No. Does anybody else know that this rebellion is even happening? Well, maybe they do, but we'll have to figure out who they are and where. How about some of our old friends? Okay, let's go visit some of our old friends. Hey, old friends, uh, you don't know who we are because we're disguised and we can't necessarily just whip off our disguises, so let's talk very obliquely around, despite the fact that we're in a shop that is inhabited by literally one person and ourselves. Right. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: It's, it's less, uh, I would say, less realistically and more with people who have with people, with, 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 with people of realistic intelligence. Yes. Uh, Jordana puts several potions on the counter. She gives the party two regular healing potions, one greater healing potion, and the metal rod from earlier. She she demonstrates the rod's function by clicking a small button on it. The rod stays fixed in place. Kulis recognizes it as an immovable rod, one of the most underrated magical items in D&D. Jorana apologizes for not being able to help more, as she is not a fighter. Percy promises to compensate her with, when the current ordeal is over and requests that to be allowed to sleep in her shop for the night. She leads them to the back in a very small bedroom that should used to be her father's. Jorana recommends they talk to Keeper Yenin, as he is very influential within the city and could help spread information. Using his earring of Whisper, Percy tells everyone to meet at the ladies' chamber when they've finished their business. Vax and Scanlan, disguised as an abusive father and his young son, walk through Whitestone, keeping an eye out for anyone they can talk to, because that's the best disguise to keep attention from drawing to yourselves. I mean, in a place like Whitestone, it's not the worst. Yeah.
1: Hide under the patriarchy. Hmm?
0: Yep. <laughs> they come across a young man, and Vax asks him for directions to the tavern, man points him towards his journeys, and then Vax drags Scanlan in that direction. They're used to having a walk-in. There are only few people inside, two of them employees. The lone patron is sitting at a table drinking his wills away as he goes through a lecture of some kind. Vax and Scanlan sit down near the man. He is rather annoyed, asking them why they're bothering him. Vax complains about the horrible living conditions in Whitestone. The man agrees with him. The man says that multiple people have committed suicide to try and escape, but they just get back up the next day. Vax suggests that someone should run the Briarways out of town. The man is doubtful that could happen. Scanlon says he heard from his friend Kevin that there are rebels in the city, the one who set the house on fire the day before. He says they're really strong and they're going to free them all. The man looks at the boy in front of him. He seems to believe the story and is interested although not optimistic. He hopes these saviors are more prepared than the last ones. Scanlon asks what he means by the last ones. The man says that there was an uprising three years ago. He tells Scanlan that if he hears anything about, else about the saviour coming into town, he should tell the barkeep, Trevor. He and the rest of them would get, rather go out and play blaze the lawyer than continue living in their current conditions. Yeah, seems right. Mm-hmm. Rather die fighting than live shittily. Scanlan asks the man what his name is. He says it's Patrick. Scanlon thanks him and begins to lead Vax out of the tavern. As they leave, Vax, acting completely sober for the first time since entering, turns back to Patrick and says, Pelor has returned. The man gives him a keen glance and nods, probably thinking, What the fuck is he talking about? (coughs) (laughs) Doing that sort of. Uh, The drunk guy just said something to me as if I should know what it means. I'm going to nod and turn away, and that way he'll leave me alone.
1: Oh, so you're not the only one who's worked customer service.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Uh, Patrick turns to the bartender and calls him over in a hissed whisper. Eventually Vox Machina gathers at the ladies' chamber. There's a much larger group gathered now than there was last time. Keeper <clears throat> is currently giving a hushed sermon <coughs> as I choke out of my spit.
2: <coughs> Are you alright? <coughs> Folks, you may have you may not have realized it, but you but you tuned in to listen to somebody die in the audio. <laughs> <laughs>
0: When you talk really fast, sometimes your spit just goes, hey, you should slow down. <laughs> Put it in park. Oh, oh, oh. <clears throat> ah, mm. Okay, I'm good. I uh, got that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vox, I'm not going to take in the back to listen. <laughs> Keeper is speaking of the evils that reign over Whitestone and how whispers have come to his ears about a hidden ally, the same one that cut down Sucarian. Mm-hmm. He believes that this is the time for the citizens to band together and show their support. He warns them to be careful and to be quiet, and that word will find them as things progress. He finishes by giving a prayer in <sighs> Celestial, which Percy understands to mean, by the guidance of the lady, my civi- my civi- la- 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 by the guidance of the lady, may civilization flourish and those that keep progression at bay be squashed beneath our feet. After this, people begin to scatter and walk away in silence, looking around warily and being careful not to exit the large group. Fax looks at all of the faces, but doesn't see anyone too notable. Scanner and Kielce recognize two of the people as the farmers they saw when they first scattered out the city. Keeper notices the party and tells them to follow him. He heads uh, around the back of the amphitheater, where a simple brick building is constructed. Inside is a small room with a table, tea set, small stove, and many shelves with, with various items displayed on them. Keeper asks the group to sit and talk with him. He says he has spoken privately with civil community leaders, but they haven't yet uh, been convinced to help the revolution, as has been tempted before, and failed. Uh, Percy asks what happened last time. Keeper Yannin tells how a group of individuals attempted to storm the castle, but they were not prepared for the dangers within. Because of that, the citizens are reluctant about another attempt. Keeper Yannin also says that his informant within the castle has gone silent over the past few weeks. Keyless asks if his informant was Simon. He says no, Simon's been missing for some time. Percy asks who the informant is. Yenin doesn't know their name, as he gets information through someone else who should be arriving shortly. (laughs) Percy asks what the Briarwoods have found beneath Whitestone. Yenin says that they have been repurposing and rebuilding something old and terrible beneath the city. He has heard it being referred to as the Ziggurat. Dun-dun-dun... Ginnon says that there is a legend that that the Sun Tree was placed by Pelor himself to seal a wound in the light, and the White Sun rose around it. This is just a fail, but the Prague's recent interest in whatever is below White Sun has kept him thinking about it. The door across the room opens and a very elderly man enters. I ask you, strangers, what makes you so sure you can change the tide of this battle? Percy recognizes the man as uh, Archibald Disney. I like bard. your version better. Archibald. <laughs> Archibard Dersner. Archibard. Archibard.
2: I, I heard Ultra Bard. Ultra Bard. <laughs> uh, the greatest bard that ever barded.
0: <laughs> a respected Such philosopher bard. in Whitestone and once Chancellor to Percy's father. Scanlan pulls out the notebook he took from Sir Carion's desk and hands it to the two old men, saying it should be proof of what they say. Archibald says it is helpful, but killing a mortal man is nothing compared to what lies in the castle. Percy removes his hat of disguise, and Scanlan drops seeming from him. Archibald drops the notebook. Hello, Archie, Percy says. The older man is stunned to see him. He thought he had perished. He smiles, joyful and energized. With you here, Percival, we have two Durolos spearheading the rebellion. We have the guiding light the people need. You'll notice... Bum-bum-bum! Two... Rolos. Uh, Percy asks, who else survived? Archibald says that the Briarwoods are nearing their gold. According to Cassandra, your sister lives, Percival. He confirms that she survived the Briarwoods' attack and was taken to serve as their personal assistant or slave. She has been feeding information to Archibald. <laughs> reports very, I <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: Reports vary. What is your t- job title?
0: It's <laughs> eh, somewhere between. <laughs> personal assistant and slave. <laughs> It's a wide range. so this isn't
2: slave. Well, that's your opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know, I've worked as a PA before, it's not that far apart. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Well,
1: and for those that are not quite as familiar, this is Cassandra, the same sister that's referenced as having helped Percy flee the castle from the original attack. And was believed dead. And was believed
0: shot in the back by arrows. Yep. Fell into a river. Like like multiple layers of should be dead on this girl,
2: (laughs) and 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 then a a giant waterfall, and then a car fell on her, and then a tank fell on her, and then a jumbo jet fell on her, and and then a space
1: shuttle fell on her. She 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 had collapsed into a volcano.
0: She had the full um, what's his name from Lord of the Rings, full Boromir. Yeah, she had the full Boromir (laughs) death, like just. (laughs) Keep it's like the full
1: Monty, only not.
2: Uh, anyways, it's the worst full Monty ever. <laughs> the
1: full bore <laughs> The Full bore
0: Uh, he can. Uh, sorry, uh, is this Norse slave. She'd been feeding information to Archibald and the others for years, and now died the last two. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what we're up against folks archibald says he will talk to his people and promises that they will have their militia he yeah, requests to be, people he requests to be guided by percival frederick Va- Pl- i said it right earlier he requests to be guided by percival frederickstein von mussel Klosowski der rolle the third and by vox machina
2: it's actually not actually pronounced Klosowski,
1: even though that's how it's spelled it's Klosowski. Klosowski mm. something. I thought it was Klosowski. Nope. It's, it's, it's pronounced it's, different than it's spelled. Yes. Because it's a non-English name. The <laughs> random letters are silent. <laughs> and some of the non-existent letters are voiced.
0: Yes. Scanner wonders how he, how he knows their group, and the man says they have had a few friends come from Amon, most of whom met dire ends. That's lovely. But he has heard of Vox Machina's exploits. Percy says that he may have a plan and asks about the status of Professor Enders. Archibald can confirms that he is working for the Briarwoods and living in the castle. Percy then asks about Lady Ripley and is told that she once lived in one of the mansions in town, but recent reports say that she's been quick to pack and her currents and her current location is unknown. With one mansion burned, two of the remaining ones belong to Duke Gorin Vedmir, who was placed in charge of the Temple of Pelor, and Count Tyleri, in charge of timber production. Archibald <clears throat> tells how the Bradwoods came to Whitestone with a small army of mercenaries from Wild Mountain. Those who helped them were most were given titles to ability and homesteads. As payment for their services, they were allowed to rule over the citizens of Whitestone. The party asks which person they should target next. Archibald says that Count Tyleri is known for being sadistic and his death would send a great message. The group recognizes the name Tyleri as, as the man that their captain, Desmond, had previously worked for and been abused by. Percy proposes creating a distraction at the, at the Vedmire estate, then going to attack Count Ileri. Keyleth offers to draw the Darola symbol in the clouds during the attack, and Scanlan offers to be the distraction. And what a distraction he'll be. Oh, yes, what a distraction he makes. Rain begins to fall. Percy puts on his hat of disguise back on. Scanlan heads for the Vedmeyer's house, while the rest of the group head for Tyleris. And when he reaches Vedmeyer's mansion, Scanlan sees one guard in front of the building, a second one around the back, and light coming from inside. He polymorphs into a dragonfly and buzzes closer. All the windows are shut, and the front door is closed. The front guard sees the dragonfly goes by, blows a puff of air at it, and then goes back to his duties. Dragonfly Scanlan perches in the doorframe to wait for his cue.
1: All right, so stealth approach. Successful. Nothing too dramatic yet. Doing great, Correct. Scanlan. Keep it up. Doing good. Yep.
0: The, larger, the larger group outside Count Tyleri's mansion do not see any guards at first glance, although there is light on the inside. The twins stealth around the building and find a single guard patrolling. They also see two humanoids pass by one of the windows. Vax uses his earring of whisper to tell Scanlon to go ahead with the distraction.
1: <laughs> Here we go.
0: <laughs> Scanlan turns into a triceratops. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, Scanlon? <laughs> turns into a triceratops, shall we say, while clinging to
1: a wall probably at least 8 to 10 feet off the ground. Yeah. He falls from
0: his place on the doorframe, <laughs> crushing oh, the guard beneath him. As <laughs> then <laughs> uh, bashes the door in with his horned head, part of the wall collapsing from the force as five guards rush into the main foyer, two holding crossbows, armed and ready. Meanwhile, at Tyleri's mansion, Vax runs up behind the lone guard knocks him out with a single blow. Running back to the group, he tells Grog to go for the door. The barbarian immediately goes into a rage and begins sprinting for the door. The, rest of the party chases after him. Vax, Vax, Vex, Vax, Keyleth, and Percy head around back and climb into a window. Grog, with Trinket behind, charges straight towards the front door. And that's where this week's episode ends.
2: <laughs> this is back in the era when they would actually take breaks before fights just about ready to start. Yep.
0: And now it's, you know why the episode title is uh is Stoke the Flames, aka Way Not Way. <laughs> way not way. Or sorry, was not was. Well that's
1: fun. And now we'll get to see next week all it's of the shit that cuts loose.
0: This is a really nice cl- I, I really actually I really like the cliffhanger here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a really nice like double headed you know double headed cliffhanger it's like you know uh scanlan turns into a triceratops okay grog bursts through a door okay okay shit is about to hit the fan shit is in the air having been loud via catapult at the fan (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) and just two seconds before it actually impacts cut to black
2: oh yeah no it's a perfect cut moment from like an episodic standpoint it's,
0: it's it's the kind of thing in like a TV series that makes you go what what are you doing
2: <laughs> and also I must watch next week to see how this turns out yeah uh-huh. really
0: good. Uh, uh do we want to do we want to leave it there or do we want to actually talk about cliffhangers before we end yeah let's talk about cliffhangers because mm-hmm. cliffhangers are really important they're, they're really important but they don't need to be overused. And, and, and this is one of the very few examples of a perfect cliffhanger. Um, mm-hmm. The, the idea of a cliffhanger comes from, if you, if you look at a story arc um, story arcs are, or, or uh, are often drawn in like sort of a, like sort of a, a, a bell curve where you have your, you have your, your inciting incident, your rising action, your climax, your declining, your, your declining action, your denouement. Um a cliffhanger is when you get to the top of that bell curve, right as the climax is about to happen and stop. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's called a cliffhanger for a variety of reasons, not least of which is the graph that you now have is a cliff. Uh, Yep. And 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 yeah like a lots of lots of people i i feel uh, lots of times when the cliffhanger is implemented it is implemented not quite correctly it's either implemented during the falling action or during the denouement but before the denouement has finished um and 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 the intention behind it is just like jeremy said like oh i like i I mean I have all this momentum behind me, and then it stops. I need to know how I need to know what happens in the next five seconds yep, so I have to tune in next week
2: and so my general rule on this, and obviously if you've listened to if you've listened to us at any length in the past you know my 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 grounding tends to be a lot more more um uh audio oriented. Um. Uh, another stereo focus or other format focus. My general rule is: good for TV shows, bad for movies. Very yeah. bad for movies. Um, because the key to a cliffhanger is you want to make sure that it's something that doesn't um minimize what came before. And so you still want to feel like the time that you invested into into watching that episode wasn't just watching a forty-five, you know, forty-two minute if it's TV, you know, standard drama length, or hour and a half if it's movie length teaser for what's to come. Yeah. Uh, there are many, many great examples of, of of cliffhangers in television. You've all seen them. I mean I would go back to like some of the real classics like um uh, uh who shot jr uh mm-hmm. for Dallas and um uh, uh stuff like uh loss was really good with cliffhangers yeah. until they stopped being good with cliffhangers um and then there are some very, very notable I think one of one of the clearest examples I've ever seen of a bad cliffhanger is matrix revolutions, yep um where and I come in I love the first matrix. I actually like the second matrix a little bit more than the first one, uh-huh. but it left such a sour taste in your mouth because the final scene. Basically says, "Yeah, we've just been building up to the next uh, the the next thing, and none of this really matters all that much." Yeah. Um, and then it doesn't help that they drastically failed to deliver with a third but, um,
0: it, the third film. But I enjoyed the third film. The third film's for a, another day.
2: Yeah, yeah. that is. A, we'll have that debate later.
0: Um, I didn't say it was good. So I enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, you also like Dragon, yeah, uh, uh, Dragon Ball. Um, I like
0: for very but, different reasons. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My point is made. Anyways, uh, the, the so it's people feel like I, I feel like there's a common perception that cliffhangers are uh, easy to do. They're not. No. And there's actually a lot of art to to finding that editing point to cutting it. Right at the right moment. Yeah. Um, follow. Generally, my 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 advice is follow like the Whedon rule because the, the Buffy and Angel and uh, um,
0: Firefly. Dollhouse,
2: Firefly didn't do any do do a, do any real. It never got a chance to do any real cliffhanger. Yeah,
0: it had, it, it had one real. They had one real good cliffhanger. Oh, there was one. Yes,
2: yeah. Um,
1: but like Buffy Angel. Doll you mean, in fact, like how it got canceled before it actually got to realize I mean. its full potential? That cliffhanger? Is that what you're talking about?
0: That cliffhanger? <laughs> that was one real fucking good cliffhanger.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it definitely got people excited for the movie that never we never thought was going to come and came out many
0: years later. The um, movie reminded me very much of End of Evangelion for many reasons. Uh, <laughs> but... I, his other
2: shows, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has done it very well for the most part, with the exception of most of the first season. Not their fault. Um, Is okay. very good at delivering that cliffhanger in a way that makes it interesting and makes you want to know what's next and makes you tune in at the next point. And works on its own as
1: well. Yeah, because and- like you said, you know, you don't want to... You want a cliffhanger... The point of a good cliffhanger is basically to allow extended tension and get them to come back for the next bit. Yep. Which is why cliffhangers in movies generally don't work because the next bit is usually at least a year later.
0: Yeah. Well, not exactly. not only that, but for a for a cliffhanger in a movie to be effective, it would have to end about half an hour to an hour before the movie actually ends.
2: Mhm.
0: Cuz well, and- the ideal spot for a cliffhanger is the climb is just before the climax.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not right. the denouement. <laughs> I think there, there's a common, an audience, per, audience expectation comes into this a little bit too, because there is a sort of an accepted format that a movie is going to tell, well, not necessarily complete, but a contained story. Mm-hmm. You know, each of the MCU films tells a, a story in a greater part, and we know those greater parts are coming. We knew after the first Iron Man that a greater part was coming, but. The stories themselves are self-contained. With television shows, the self-containment is more seasonal. Yeah. Um. So you can do cliffhangers a lot easier in a television show from episode to episode. Um. With with, with a with a film, when you set up a big cliffhanger at the end and don't resolve the arc, what was the other really good Golden Compass? Was the other one that did that just absolutely botched the cliffhanger idea?
0: Uh, um, there, there, There is, however, a way to do a cliffhanger even worse than that. When you start a movie as if it had left off from a cliffhanger, i.e. Batman vs. Superman.
2: Yeah, I'm legitimately trying to remember how Batman vs. Superman began at this point. I've wiped it from my mind.
0: Batman Batman versus Superman uh starts with the premise oh, yes. oh, seen, yes, 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 starts yes, with yes. the premise that we've seen a Batman movie that didn't happen. <laughs> <No>. Yes. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Which is a really confusing choice that they made. <laughs> well, I, it,
2: I would their individual complaints. I have a lot of complaints about Batman vs. Superman. Um assuming assuming we know Batman 's story is not one of them, because they didn't assume they gave us his origin story twice in the movie,
0: yes, after the movie had already started, yes, <laughs> with information that would have been more useful earlier. <laughs> Like, I would have loved it if they had never included
2: that sequence. Everybody <laughs> knows that Bruce... You could grab some random person in the middle of... I don't even know where... I, I, I'm not going to say... I don't want to sound culturally insensitive. But have My to- daughter
1: is three years old and can yes. barely speak English. I'm pretty sure she already knows Batman's origins.
0: Right? But did you know his mom's name was Martha?
1: <laughs> oh God! I'm going to stab yes. you in the eye. <laughs> yes,
0: I knew that. That was. And one did of the you know things- that he has a cultural obligation to not hurt anybody who also has a mom named Martha? God, <laughs> that
2: was one of the things that and. Uh, i want to preface this by saying, I am not somebody who 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 loves shitting on the d c e u as a pair, as, as opposed to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think that there that the d c e u gets more shit than it deserves, but mm-hmm. that's something that the m c u did far better than the d c e u They have never bothered to show us suit spider man's origin right. Because
1: needs it anymore.
2: Everybody knows Spider-Man's origin. Like, they didn't even reference it in Homecoming. <laughs> um, and it's fine. It worked.
0: Zack Snyder they, I think
2: they, felt the need
0: to show us <laughs> the Wayne's getting shot twice. I think they referenced his origin as, a, as an aside in Civil War kind of a little but nothing that I think that was then. all they did and I think that's all they needed to do really like they never mention
2: I think Ben is mentioned in a side like a, a throwaway line like once. I said
0: I, like the the entirety yeah. of Uncle Ben died got bit by a spider radioactive superpowers was basically like a throwaway line delivered by delivered by RDJ telling Spider-Man how he knew about Spider-Man.
2: Yeah, like, the Russos were basically, the, the directors like, were basically like, you know, you don't need to know this, right, audience? Good. Let's move on. We know you're smarter than that. Zack Snyder was like, I need to explain this all.
0: Anyways. <laughs> hey, look, we tangented. Was that ever a question?
1: We knew we were gonna...
2: In short, fuck Batman versus Superman.
1: <laughs>
0: Server issues.
1: <laughs> Server issues. Anyway, hey, I can hear you now. Just, okay, cool. Oh God. <laughs> well, we're done. Basically, is what. Yeah, you <laughs> to
2: the well, welcome to the technical difficulty episode of of critical thinking which is different from the other episodes of critical thinking in so many
0: so many ways yeah so many ways for instance goodbye bye (laughs) bye